He's also uh, the Goldenberg Real Estate Group, one of the top retail brokers for decades in London. He's going to give us his take now on the capital markets, the commercial markets, the residential markets in London, what's going on with the coronavirus, what's happening in the city, the pulse and all that. Great guy, known him for many years, good, good dude. And it's going to give you a fresh take on real estate in the London market. We hope you're all safe. We appreciate you listening in. Anywhere you subscribe. Check out the deal with Danny Brown, and we're going to bring you some more fresh content. Take care. So, Bradley, what's going on in the UK, baby? Well, I think, well, we got the sun shining, so that, that helps. Do you have the yeah. sun shining? We, we have the sun shining. We have probably 70 degrees. Uh, so lockdown in London is not so miserable. <laughs> All right. So for, so for those of you joining us, I have Bradley Goldenberg on the deal with Danny Brown. Thank you, Bradley, for joining us all the way from London. Bradley is a commercial investor, real estate investor, and has been a broker a long time, known him for many years. We're going to get into your full intro after the, after the episode. We edit it in. So just welcome to the show. How's it going out there in London? London's good. I mean, apart from obviously <laughs> the backdrop of misery that uh, COVID. We call it coronavirus. I think in the States you just call it COVID. Is that right? Uh, I call it corona. Okay, good. All right. It used Not to be a corona, corona, whatever it is. <laughs> and how's <laughs> Boris? How's the prime minister doing? I hear he's, he's healing. Well, we're hoping so. Uh, it was a big shock, I think. Uh, I suppose it was inevitable that some high-ranking politician with all the work they do and all the people they see that would catch it but it was i think it was a bit of a it's still a bit of a shock when you hear the prime minister has it um and he, he certainly developed a, a big uh, a big popularity here uh off, you know off the back of uh, brexit and so on and so forth so uh, i think the people have taken it pretty pretty seriously i suppose on the, on the on the flip side it's kind of helped people i think since he got sick people have kind of taken a view well hang on you know, this is this is real. We you know we all know who Boris is, and Boris has got it. So we've got to be sensible uh, because I think it took it took some people a bit of time to actually understand the full uh, the full impact that Corona can have. Yeah, absolutely. It took some time here. About thirty days ago, I'd say about mid March, we went on shelter in place in California, and everyone started taking it serious from that point on. Uh, it would have been nicer if we knew or took it a little more serious a few weeks earlier, but I think we're doing pretty good over here. Uh, the shelter in place has really worked. They're saying the curve is starting to bend in the right direction for the first time. So that's positive news in all this. What are they saying in London? How is it, how is the, uh, the corona, the, the deaths and the infections happening? Well, so far, yeah, uh, I haven't seen today's stats, but, but, but as of yesterday, we had about 6,000 deaths. Um, the difficulty I think that we have in, in correlating the deaths to the cases was that we haven't been testing in the same way that other countries have been testing. Yeah. So uh, initially there were tests, but then there were, those tests were only for people who had been to an infected 
um, one of the one of the main infected countries, China, Hong Kong, etc., um, or had been in touch with someone who had come back. So that, that so so that's those are the initial tests. So then people start to develop symptoms, but unless you had a bad persistent cough or you had a high fever, you were just told to stay at home. So people weren't being tested. So what what we can't really accurately correlate is the deaths versus the real number of cases. We only know the cases versus those against those who have been tested. Yeah. Um, so that makes it kind of difficult. But in terms of how we're doing, I mean, our, our lockdown is, uh, is we're kind of two and, a, two, two and a bit weeks in. It was meant to be three weeks to start with. Um, the plan was the government were going to have a meeting on Monday to kind of then relay to the public what comes next. Um, there's talk that that might be delayed now because of Boris is it, it being incapacitated. But, you know, yeah. if that's the case, they can't, they can't delay it too long. So our stand-in prime minister, if you like, uh, the guy that's taken the reins, a chap called Dominic Raab, um, I guess he's, lead, he's leading the, the government now. Uh, and they'll make, they'll make a plan. A lot of people are expecting that it will, you know, we'll get another couple of weeks. At the moment, we can go out, as I'm sure you as you guys can, for, you know, to get, uh, important things, groceries and stuff, and help people that are sick, essentials. Um, we can also get out to exercise, but there's quite a lot of talk that that might change uh, maybe yeah. in the next few days, mainly because we got this great weather and people can't help themselves to go out and do things they shouldn't be doing. So, you know, we're not used to the weather like, like you are. Yeah. <laughs> How good is the weather? What is the, what is the 60 degrees? It's Perfect day. No, no, we're, we're, I think we're at 70 today. Some 70, that's LA weather. There you go. There you go. We're raining here. We switch weather. So I don't want to get too in the weeds on the data and science. We're not scientists or doctors. I have you on here to talk the big game of real estate, how it's impacting your area, your business. Bradley, you've been a broker and investor for many decades. You've seen a few cycles, ups and downs. London has always been a hot market, both commercial and residential. So that's what we got you on here to talk about. So before we get into what's going on right now, why don't we give, you a, give everyone a little bit of background, where you grew up, how you got into real estate, sort of what brought you to where you are now sitting in London dealing with the corona and the real estate market and such. Okay. So I, I grew up in, in, uh, in, in, in North, North London, um, predominantly in an area around called Hampstead. Um, from which I've been in for most of my life now. Um, I got into the real estate business through really because it was a family thing. My, my dad and my uncle set up a, a business back in 72, which was at those days called Goldenberg and Company. Um, my dad was probably the leading uh, broker for the high-end retail retail uh, real estate. So he was covering you know, some of the greatest you know streets in, 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 in London at the High-end places, like Bond, I don't know if you're familiar with the street names, but Bond, New Bond Street, which is like on Rodeo Drive or Fifth Avenue, uh, and those kind of similar streets. So dealing with luxury retail, basically. Yeah. Uh, and he was he was kind of the, you know the, the king of that really in, in London during during the seventies and, and and a good chunk of the, probably you know went into the eighties as well. Um, and so he had this they had this firm as well as doing retail, they did other elements at that time mainly of commercial real estate so they did office uh office brokerage industrial brokerage that kind of stuff uh, so it's all i ever knew i mean when i was a kid uh that was all i and i was always very close to my dad and my uncle and i was always keen to understand what they did and and so on and so forth so i used to go in the school holidays and go go there and hang out and learn learn a bit of what was going on uh, which culminated in me i think at 14 years old i did my first office leasing deal in the school 
in the school vacation, summer vacation. Um, and uh, you your first deal? 14, first deal. Yeah, I, I let office, an office building, office floor in a building at 138 New Bond Street in, uh, in, 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 in Mayfair. Ooh, impressive. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's young. <laughs> How is your dad? How's Henry doing? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's good. He's, he's in the he's in the, the kind of uh, the long term lockdown, so he can't do anything for twelve weeks. But he's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah, send him our uh, best. Send him our love. Yeah. And we say hello. So tell me about your career arc. Getting into originally, you got into the brokerage, and now you're focusing more on investing. But why don't you kind of walk us through that change and that arc? Okay. So in terms of brokerage, uh, after spending a few years doing a bit of retail, bit of office, bit of industrial, kind of learning the ropes of those, I decided investment seemed to be the place where the money was. Um, so it was important, I thought, to understand how those tenants and those occupiers use their buildings. Uh, so obviously I got closer to that for, from doing that sort of you know brokerage. And then, as I said, in, in, in the mid-90s, I got into pure investment. Um, and it, it was interesting. I think the first thing I learned in that sector actually was that uh, I noticed that many people specialized in a sector. So they would do office investment, retail investment, yeah. London investment, Manchester investment. Uh, and, and then I learned that I would sort of talk to an investor as this kind of green investment broker. And I'd say, so, you know, what do you want to buy? And the guy would say, well, we want to buy offices in Mayfair. So I'd start finding deals, offices in Mayfair right. and get no, and he wouldn't bite. And I'd phone him up. Well, come on, what's going on? I've been sending you deals in Mayfair. He said, oh, I've been sidetracked. We've been buying a shopping center in Manchester. And then I learned that was, and what I learned from that was that in the UK, most investors are deal driven. They just care about making money. Yeah. So from that moment, I decided, right, I'm not going to be sector specific. I'm not going to be geography specific. I'm just going to be looking for deals that make money for people. Right. And so, and that's, and, and that's what I started to do. So it was quite unusual because as a kind of niche player in the market, and most of the niche guys specialize in a sector or an area. Uh, so I built up relationships in the kind of bro in the brokering world, uh, brokering world, if you like, all over the UK and different regions, different sectors to try and source deals that, that I thought would suit for, suit my different, different clients. And the clients that I had ranged from institutions to property companies to ultra high net worth, family trusts, you know, every, whatever it may yeah. be. The whole gamut. So that gave yeah. you a really broad exposure because you're looking at various asset classes, various geographies. Uh, it's interesting because it seems that I see both both types of investors out there, those that are just very niche-driven and only stick with what they know. And then I see what you're talking about, chasing the yield, chasing the return. And they'll go from a hotel deal to a retail deal to an apartment deal to an office deal, wherever the, the deal is. So it sounds like that's where you really, really, uh, you know, got experience just going looking at a variety of different types of asset classes and different types of sectors of real estate. You know, that, that, that's right. And I think that, I think that it, it enabled me to be able to do more business. Yeah. Um, you know, because there are times where, you know, one sector is booming and another area is booming and, you know, you can always kind of, you know, f f find an area um, that, that worked. And, you know, we, I wasn't just transacting in the UK. I mean, we did, we did some, some over the years, like you know, some, some great deals. I mean, we, we, and remember we're talking about a small business. It was me, right. In terms of doing transacting. So I had people around me, but in terms of who negotiated the deals, who, 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 you know, who did all of the negotiations, who ran the deals, it was me. Whereas yeah. the other firms would have big teams of people. So yeah. I was punching very much above my weight. I mean, in, in, in I guess, when would it have been at uh, 2003, 2004, 
I did a deal, you know, I was representing Goldman Sachs and one of their JV partners, and we, we did a sale on Eastback and then a, a sale of all of the Euro Disney uh, residential accommodation, all the staff, they called yeah. them cast members, all the cast members at Disney lived there, uh, lived in. Uh, you know, that was, that was a big deal, but that, that was, that was Bradley Goldenberg doing it. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't CBRE or, or one of the big firms. So I was able to get myself into a position with larger organizations who knew that I could do the deal for them. I could deliver it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that progressed all the way through my, my brokerage career when I was a broker. Right. So w- why don't we talk about a few standout deals or situations that you can talk about, whether it was in UK or US or somewhere else. Uh, is there one or two that stand out of interesting deals, big deals, funny deals, and eight sort of entertaining stories, whatever you can think of? Well, in terms of deals, I suppose one of my favorite deals I did was, was, was back in uh, 2002, 2003. And the reason it was one of my favorite deals, it was a completely off-market transaction. It was high profile and yeah. it changed, in my view, it changed a sector within the market and I'll explain what it was. So obviously everyone, I'm sure your listeners have heard of Harrods um, <laughs> and Harrods, uh, which is in Knightsbridge uh, opposite Harrods um, to the rear of a building opposite Harrods was, is, is, a, is a square called Trevor square. And on Trevor square housed what they call a depository. So depository is basically a big multi-story warehouse. Okay. And that warehouse was where Harrods would take the stock that they, that came in, uh, to their main distribution hub, and then they put stuff into this depository, and then there was a tunnel underneath Brompton Road that serviced the store. Wow. And they decided that it wasn't really very financially uh, astute to own such a valuable piece of real estate just for warehousing. There were better ways they could fit to, they could uh, service the store, um, and they could do it more efficiently. So they decided that we got word that they would, that they would sell the depository. Um, and so I had a, I represented a client then who was the, uh, they were the London office of a Middle Eastern uh, investment bank. And uh, their whole, their, their business was all about residential. And I said to them, look, I think that this location is fantastic. I think we could do a great residential scheme here. And I think we, we, we should look at it. So I went to see the guy who ran the business, who was probably one of the brightest guys I've met. He was a, he was, he was joking in real estate, but he was a tax accountant. And he was, anyway, I, get, I told him the deal. And within, and I'm not exaggerating here, within about a minute, he had, in his head, basically done this development appraisal. I mean, it was <laughs> nuts. I've never seen met anyone like it before. And he said, right, this is what we'll pay. And what he said we'd pay was, you know, largely what, what, what I knew we could do the deal for. So we went along and we negotiated the deal with the, uh, Mr. Al-Fayed, who was the owner of, uh, of Harrods. Um, and a few kind of, you know, uh, a typical, you know, uh, negotiation with a, with a, with a, with a, you know, successful businessman. Anyway, we got the deal done. And the reason that I was so proud of it was because we actually ended up creating, and we were involved. I was lucky because, you know, my, my company, Goldenberg Real Estate at the time, we were able to, we were able to be involved in every element of the, of the deal. So we, we acquired the site. We helped them to design it and, and so on and so forth, put our ideas into it. Um, then we, you know, there was a commercial element. There was a new office building that was built. We got to lease that, sell that. We were involved with re- the re- there was retail opposite Harrods. We got to lease that as well. Um, and, and then we had these kind of, I think it was 42 residential units. I think there were 38 apartments and then the rest were houses, townhouses. And the point was that it became 
the first sort of multi you know proper number of units a multi uh, apartment super prime scheme in london the first one yeah it, it, it didn't exist yet it didn't exist and that changed the changed residential market in london in, in my opinion um the, the the irony is that we sold those units for like 1200 pounds per square foot and i think and now nowadays that would be, you know they be what would that be today triple the, yeah more or less today. I'm not sure if it's post-corona triple, but it right. was certainly pre-corona triple. Certainly a month ago. But certainly a month ago, it was worth 3,000 pounds, if not more. So tell me now about your investment company, what you guys have been doing up until the corona, and sort of now what's happened after. I know we're all sort of on a pause, but talk to me sort of about your business in the London market leading up to Corona. So we have an idea of where you were in the cycle, what sort of activity was happening, how things were looking. Okay. So, so in, when, when we sort of, we, we, we obviously, you'll know about Brexit. So Bre Brexit, Brexit caused yeah. a huge load of, a, a huge load of hassle here because it basically meant that, um, people, we, People were kind of standing back. People didn't really understand what was going on. And, and, and we knew that pre, I mean, before Brexit, so in sort of 2018, uh, sorry, yeah. So in, in, in before we actually Brexited, yeah. right, we knew that there would be, a, there, there would be a, 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 a dip in the market, which there was. Um, so we knew that in 2019 was going to be a much leaner year for brokerage because it was going to be a lot harder to get people to, to commit. And most of my business was overseas. So helping overseas people buy in the UK. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 um, so I mean, and despite that, the year before we left, you know, we would, we did sort of $700 million of business, but knowing that it was then going to dip because of, because of, because of, uh, Brexit, I decided that it was probably a good time to switch from brokerage into, uh, into becoming a principal investor. Okay. Uh, and a number of the investors that I work with were saying to me, look, we're not going to be spending money buying new assets, but we want to improve our assets. You know, can you help us do that? And I was like, well, no, I'm not really going to help you do that because I'm not an asset manager. And bluntly, there's not that much money in that. What I want to do is, is I will invest with you. I'll work with you and we'll help and, and we'll, we will you know, create value and I'll run it for you in the UK. And you know, you'll, you'll, uh, and we'll work out. You know, we'll earn. I'll earn on a, on a sort of profit share basis. So that led to the birth of of of, uh, of um, my new business, which is which is uh, Square Dial uh, Real Estate Capital Partners, which I set up with a friend of mine called David Adler. David was the global head of real estate at Barclays Private Bank. He's a, a very bright guy uh, who who I've known for we've known each other for many years we've done business together with friends and uh you know we, we, there was there was a lot of sort of complementary skills that, that that we both had uh and and the premise of the business is as i said to buy uh, assets for uh predominantly it happens to be overseas investors okay um and in fact we've got and uh, 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 we've got some 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 family offices for example from from the us who are keen to buy here why they're keen to buy here a because they want to spread their risk but b you know for you guys in america if you're in dollars the pounds the pounds in a mess so you get the double whammy of the currency yeah. play and hopefully some real estate uh, enhancement so so that's uh, so, so, so that's attractive so we set that business up uh, and you know we're doing some interesting things yeah that's funny because 
not so long ago, the last cycle, I think when you were out here looking at deals, we were talking about the other thing, that the currency conversion was so, was so strong in the UK that ever, all the assets here were on sale, and now it's reversed. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. So what is um, the state of the commercial market? And if you can speak to the residential market, I know you have a lot of uh, associates in residential as well. I'd be curious to know pre, you know, 2019, 2020, Brexit's happening, before the corona kicks in, was the market chugging along? Was it pretty solid or was it already starting to get shaky out in London? Well, pre-Brexit. Pre, pre well, no, after the, after the Brexit started okay. taking place, but pre-corona. Okay. So, okay. So, the pre-corona, things, things, were, things were looking okay. We had a big boost. I mean, when, when Brexit was done, everyone was like, you know, good, let's you know, get on with things. We saw, we saw we've seen a, an increase. I mean, we had 55, in 2000, I think we had about 55 billion um, UK investment volumes, about 55 billion. Um, um, which was up about five from the year before, five billion from from two thousand and nine and nineteen. I mean, okay. we're still we're still below the peak of two thousand and fifteen, which was when we had the uh, the referendum. Uh, but it still was looking like it was going to be a, a, a strong year. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of money coming in from uh, from overseas, a lot from Asia. Um, the U, I mean, the UK itself was in, in two thousand and nineteen. Was the second largest largest market in Europe? Yeah, um, at, at fifty five. Uh, sorry, at fifty five billion. With Germany was largest at only fifty nine, and Germany is a lot bigger than the UK. Um, so you know, we 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 think things were looking pretty good. Um, you know, we've seen key growth in 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 employment. You know, everything was looking was looking pretty good. Um, the 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 issue that we've got now, of course, with Corona, is what happens next. Right. The $55 billion question. So let me ask you, before we get into what happens next, what is the high-end residential market looking like in London? What if you can say, you know, a few big sales or a few buildings, what, what are things trading for? And are they trading below the peak or uh, above the, are we at the peak? You know, in LA, we're sort of, we were at the peak before this hit. I'm curious with London, it sounds like it's sort of, was pre-Brexit, it seems to be when the peak was, but can you speak to that a little bit? Like, what's the residential looking like? Yeah, well, look, I, I, I can speak loosely. I mean, it's not my forte. Yeah, I know it's not your expertise. The market, it, it sort of, it did dip around Brexit. Again, you know, what, why? I mean, if you take London as an example, we have lots of expats. London is a very cosmopolitan city with lots of overseas people, you know, loads of investment banks, people are, you know, li moving here for work and so on and so forth. So for a lot of those guys who weren't buying long-term, Brexit was like, well, hang on a sec, you know, am I going to be staying in London? So we definitely saw, uh, post the referendum, we, we did definitely see a, a, a lack or, or a, a big reduction in, in, uh, in, in transactions. Uh, but, but, you know, post after the, uh, well, when we knew Brexit was going to happen, I believe from speaking to friends in the residential market, things improved, things did improve and volumes were back. Um, I don't think pricing moved that much. Um, but, but the point was that there was a lot more, there was a lot more turnover. And I think as I've heard you talk about on your, on your podcast and your other, um, you know, um, messages that you've given and commentaries, you know, you see, you, we've seen, um, that, 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 uh, the, the, there's, there's been, there was more turnover. 
but but yeah. we haven't seen. I don't. Th- I don't think values came back enormously and increased enormously. Could I say we had the very peak when we were talking before about Knightsbridge? I mean, that would have been you know three and a half, four thousand pounds a square foot for you know in in parts of it. Uh, I think that probably fell back to closer to maybe two and a half to three. Um, so we haven't gone back to the super times pre-referendum. Pre-referendum yeah. numbers were numbers were big. Uh, and then the other thing that we have here, though, that we so so your market is probably more tailored towards what we call owner occupiers, people who are buying homes to live in. The investment market for residential here is enormous. So we we, we you know developers in in London have have sold in hundreds of thousands of units to investors from Asia, from Hong Kong, from Singapore, from Malaysia, from all over the world. Yeah. So you know so so our market is is we've got a kind of a two tiered market if you like I guess. Sure. Let me rewind a little bit. Back in the Great Recession, uh, did you guys feel that pain in your real estate market? And what do you? What would you say was the if you did the peak, the trough value decrease during that two thousand and nine ten period? And we were peak to trough around twenty percent. If you were in prime blue chip West Side real estate, of course, if you were outskirts, some of the people got obliterated. It was 50, 70, 80 percent. Yeah, but I'm curious, Prime London, uh, at the last recession, what was the peak to trough? Can you give us a rough, a rough breakdown of what that looked like? Well, again, again, I think you're talking residentially. I mean, in the, in the commercial market, um, I, don't, I don't think residentially, I don't think we had a huge, necessarily a huge differential. What we had was a lack of transactions. Got it. So it wasn't pricing um, with volume. Yeah. So, I mean, commercially, from the commercial market, it was really interesting because, you know, there were there weren't that many people that were piling in. I always, always kind of assumed that, you know, we'd have this, you know, this big, this big recession, obviously. um, And, you know, you're obviously talking the Lehman Times and so on and so forth. And we'd have we'd have this big thing and loads of people were coming in buying cheap real estate. Um, but I don't think that we had quite as much of that as, as, as one would have expected. I kind of learned that, you know, we talk about these kind of maverick real estate uh, investors, I'm talking in the UK, uh, and they weren't as kind of ballsy as I would have expected some of them would be. We, there were some good opportunities, but that's partially, and I think, you know, that's partially because you didn't actually know how things were going to necessarily recover. Well, of course. Residentially, it's different. If you've got, if you've, you know, if you're buying a home for yourself, and you can say that home that was, you know, five million pounds, and suddenly you can buy it for four million pounds, and you're going to go live in it for the next ten years. Well, then you just do it. If you've got the money, you do it because it's a bargain. But when you're an investor and you're buying for, you know, for, for, you know, you need to improve the asset over a period of time. That's slightly harder because you don't know how long it's going to be. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some fun stuff now. We're dealing in a new world of Corona. What? How has it impacted? The real estate market now is everything on pause. Have, tra- have transactions stopped? Uh, have prices fallen? Has anything happened yet? It may be too soon because you're only two weeks or three weeks into your shelter in place. But I'm curious, how has it impacted the overall real estate market, or is it just too soon to tell? I think it's, it's definitely impacted the market. I mean, there's virtually no transactions happening. Um, there, there've been a few transactions that stopped, uh, but of course that's stopped, not necessarily cancelled, which, which, which I think people need to, you know, to, 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 consider, you know, just, you know, because we're, why they stopped? Because no one really knows what, 
what, what's, what's going to happen. I mean, there have been what's interesting is we've seen we have the I don't know if you have the same thing and you have a different name for it, but we have in our contracting we have something called a MAC clause, which is basically if there's a material change in in the market or in the financial yes. world, then you can you know, even though once you ex- what we call exchange contracts, you call um, uh, so so it, that's when the, the that's when the deal becomes legally binding. Remove contingencies. Uh, yeah, we call it removing contingencies. Yeah. Okay, so so we've seen so we've seen transactions that have stopped because of it. So you know the the, the seller bait the buyer basically gets their deposit back because of this right. time, because of a material change. Um, so we've seen quite a few of those happen, which which very very rarely happens. It's very rare that you see that come into play. But Corona is a material adverse condition, and which is what Mac clause stands for. Sure. Um, so we, we've seen deals stop, but in reality, you know, the, 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 there's there's nothing new going on. I mean, there's been the odd deal that maybe you know, if you if you're a, a very long term overseas investor, and with London we get lots of those. They just come here to park cash because it's safe, you know. Yeah. Or even if we have a blip for three months, three years, these guys are going to own the real estate for a hundred years. You know, they, they want to buy it anyway. So that's, that kind of stuff can still happen. But the volumes are crazy. And that's shown by the fact that the big brokerage firms, all of them, the global ones that you have there and we have here, you know, have, have, have laid off or fur- furloughed. I don't know if you're familiar with this furlough. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Furloughed so many staff. So that's them saying, look guys, we're not be doing anything. So yeah. we're going to just let the government pay your salaries for, for a few months. So, um, safe, so safe to say you're all staying home. No one's walking around the streets. No one's going to restaurants. You're all like us. You're just home and kids are running around. And Well, there's all this strategizing. So me and David and our colleagues and people that we deal with and investors, you know, we're spending lots of time on, on Zoom. And I think, I think if there's one thing the world can be grateful for at the moment, it's Zoom. Zoom. Thank <laughs> God for Zoom. Zoom everything. Kids are doing Zoom school. Last night we did Zoom Seder. I mean, it's all, it's all about Zoom. We're doing this on Zoom. So uh, you know, it's all about so, you know, we're, yeah. So a lot of a lot of strategizing, but you know, you're strategizing against who knows what because we don't know what's happening next. But I think what w- what we have seen a lot of here, and I'm, I'm guessing it's the same in 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 in, in LA and, and elsewhere in America. But but what we're seeing here, we're seeing a huge increase in community spirit. Absolutely. And I just wonder if that could be. You know, I think once we've embraced that, hopefully that will be here to stay. I mean, we're a, the UK, you know, Brits have got this kind of personality of being kind of very stoic people. You know, you guys walk down the street, say, hi, good morning. How are you doing? Have a nice day. We just kind of grunt. Uh, not in LA, Bradley, not in LA. <laughs> no one talks to anybody. I mean, <laughs> you're in their you cars. Can, <laughs> people sit on the train in the morning some days and they'll see yeah. the same guy you see next to them for 20 years. And they never, never saw the word. <laughs> so, but what we're seeing here is we're seeing people helping i mean you know i'm sure the same thing as i said restaurants closed but delivery is fine right you know the supermarkets people don't want to go to the supermarkets so you know they don't want to queue up at the supermarket the supermarkets can't cope with the deliveries online so so people are going to you know getting local stores to deliver to them so i'm kind of wondering whether then that changes the retail market because the retail market here, and I know globally, was in a big mess. Yes. You know, retail has a big problem. So what's this situation done to retail? Well, I say it's fast forwarded people's utilization of technology. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that that will change things. And I think it's also fast forwarded. Oh, brought, it hasn't fast forwarded. It's brought back people's sense of community to help local retailers, the local butcher, the local fish shop, the local whatever it may be, bakery. Right. And, and, and so maybe we'll see now in, the, in London, we don't have as much of this. We don't have as much kind of what I would call um, local entrepreneurial retailers because rents are ridiculously high. Everyone high. always wanted a multiple retailer in their store because they were re- regular, reliable rate pay- rent payers. So, so I think that from a retail perspective, I think we'll see, we'll, 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 we'll see some, some differences. Um, and, you know, are we now going to see people work differently? You know, we're sitting in our homes doing our work, whatever we need to do. You know, are we people suddenly going to read actually, you know, because obviously people commute big distances in, in the UK. You know, people could commute hour and a half to go to their office. Yeah. So maybe now they think, actually, I don't need to do that. I can work locally. I can work from home. And, uh, and for businesses, they can save money. They don't need to pay big rents. Yeah. Or are people going to say, actually, yeah, I like the idea of that, but I need to see my colleagues. I need to see people. You know, <laughs> it motivates you. If you're in a team of people, you know, you see the guy across across the office is doing deals and you're saying that you haven't done a deal for a few days or for a few weeks. You know, you want to keep up. There's natural, you know, yeah. uh, um, competition. So I think we probably will see some kind of hybrid maybe of people working a bit more from home and just having maybe a more flexible, flexible way of, living working yeah i think a good point you made was that this will accelerate trends and it will accelerate the evolution of business and culture and how we've been living uh and sure there'll be some winners and losers and it's painful uh and i think the silver lining as you said is hopefully people are are grasping uh the sense of community more they seem to be kids are riding bikes again in our neighborhoods which i've never seen you know, and I even start riding a bike again. I haven't been on my bike in 10 years. So there are some silver linings. Obviously, there's a lot of pain and, you know, a lot of issues that, that we're going to have to deal with and a lot of unknowns. But there are some positives. So tell me um, if you, uh, when you can go back out to a restaurant, where are you going? What are, the, what are the restaurants we should all be going to when we get to London? Wow. We've got an abundance of restaurants. I mean, the problem is lots of them are going bust. <laughs> we don't know who's going to be in business. <laughs> Assuming they're in business, where should we go? <laughs> well, we have some staple, well-known restaurants in London, which are always good fun. Places like the Ivy, uh, in the London Ivy, nothing to do with the London. It's the two Ivies that you have in uh, LA, in LA, which are great. Uh, one of, yeah. Um, so that, that is a good. We, we, we've got, you know, we, 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 I mean, then we have lots of kind of, you know, cooler, um, more independent places. Uh, Private in, clubs. You know, where should we go? Annabelle's. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Soho House. I remember there. Obviously, Soho House is quite big in LA. Uh, and that's always a nice place. I mean, you know, to have to go through a whole summer potentially of not getting sit, sitting on the roof of, uh, of, of Soho House in London or any of the Soho Houses in London would be, would be a real shame. So hopefully that will open up again. Have you uh, been to the Soho House in Malibu on the beach? No, I haven't. No, no, oh, no, I haven't. We'll have to go there. I haven't. Uh, so do you- Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. My wife tells me I speak too much on these podcasts, so go ahead. <laughs> so no, there's an abundance of things. It, it, it's actually not so much. It's funny when you think back, you're kind of cooped up at home and you think, what do I miss? You know, and, and that's, that's quite an interesting, interesting point. Uh, uh, and you suddenly think, well, you know, I used to talk a lot about where I went for dinner and where I wanted to go. There. It's kind of, I've almost forgotten what it's like to go to a restaurant. 
and a bar. But you know, we're coming into into summertime, so hopefully we'll be able to do that uh, to do that soon. <laughs> so, Bradley, do you think through your crystal ball, this coronavirus is going to create buying opportunities and value plays uh, for investors, or do you think it's just going to be a blip and it's the market's going to snap right back? What's your crystal ball tell us? I think, first of all, I mean, the market will come back. How it comes back, we don't know because we, as we said, we. I mean, the key thing when you look at a deal is you work at looking at a building. You're kind of thinking, well, what's the NOI? What can I get to? What income can I get? And in the past, you say, well, if that building next door was achieving 50 pounds per square foot and my building, I can refurbish my building and I can get my building to 50 pounds per square foot. And that's how I can calculate how I'm going to, uh, how I'm going to make money out the deal. But now we don't know what the real rent is. So we need the market to come back and stabilize a little bit before and see how people are, because remember, lots of these tenants are going out of business as well. So we're going to see, you know, and that's, that's, that's a given, you know, businesses are already going out of business. Right. So we're going to see a lot more available accommodation. So of course, you know, just basic supply and demand, it becomes a tenant's market, um, you know, which makes it difficult. But the big difference here, and people keep comparing, whenever you have a recessionary scenario, you compare it to the one before. The big difference, of course, is before we were in a situation where the banks were in a mess, the right. banks were selling off, selling off debt wherever they could, yeah. and so on and so forth. Systemic um, economic bank issues, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's not the issue now. The other thing that we've had in previous recessions is recessions have been regional. So, for example, we could have a recession here, you could not have a recession, and you sure. could come over here and buy up our assets. Right. The whole world's going to be in this recession. Okay. So the buying opportunities are, are completely different. Um, so they will be there. But I, I think that all this is going to do, and let's be honest, it's, you know, we were probably getting close to a recession anyway. Right. You know, you know, and this it, accelerated us into it. <laughs> yeah, it's accelerated us into it and not enabled us to plan for it. Right. So, you know, so, you know, as I said, people used to go be able to go from one country to another and buy opportunity. Well, you can't do that. So what does it mean? It means that we've got to work, we'll have to work a lot harder to create value. Right. Um, you know, the banks are under pressure. Their banks don't want to foreclose on people in this time. Um, the government in the UK have told landlords that, you know, if you, you, you can't basically take any enforcement action on your tenants for three months. We need the banks to do the same thing because there's no point not being able to, um, to you know, there's no point the government stopping you from trying to get money from your tenant and the banks not allowing you, you know, not, 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 uh, uh, not being able to, you know, basically the chain has to, has the to chain of events, it. yes, the supply exactly. chain has to be. So, you know, so, you know, I, I, I think the main thing is probably not about, I think people that will be successful in this time are people that are able to, react quickly to the new needs of the tenant and the occupier. So, I mean, we've been into a big time where people were looking at operational, uh, operational assets. So, uh, or people were investing in what, uh, what triple net type assets. And with triple net assets, they didn't really care much about what a tenant was doing because the tenant just paid the rent. Now you've got to think about what your tenant's doing. Because if your tenant is offering a service or a product which isn't relevant, Right. They're going to get in trouble. Right. Which was always you know? the case, but now you've got to be even more sensitive to that. 
Yeah. Because they could be out Look of at the hotel sector. You know, it's a multi, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of, in Valhalla. In, it's one of the biggest sectors there is, hospitality. You know, you know, if you own a hotel now, you know, you've got effectively a minimum of three months of almost no occupancy. Yeah. And then you've got to wait for people to start flying again, people to, you know, see the need to travel. I mean, what we're seeing now with Zoom, going back to Zoom is, we now realize we don't actually need to travel to go see someone. If it's just a face-to-face meeting, what do you need to fly across the country for? Right. You know, so, you know, and then that problem was being exacerbated by, all, you know, by, 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 you know, green environmentalists and so on, who were really putting the pressure on people to not travel, you know, to save the planet and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, we, 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 we will see big changes. It's very hard to say what's going to happen, how, how it's going to happen. But the answer to your question, are we going to bounce back straight away? I, I can't see how that's possible. Going to exactly. take some time in your view. Yeah. 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 What's interesting is this is, as you mentioned, not a system, uh, not a systemic economic bank issue. It's this is a health crisis. It's almost to me closest to a natural disaster because it, except natural disasters hit in a specific area. You know, New you know New Orleans happened, and you know Puerto Rico. This is global. You know, it's a national disaster, but it's everywhere. So it, there'll be opportunities and it'll be interesting to see the smart investors that figure out what the niche opportunities are. Uh, but there certainly will be opportunities in every market. I just don't, no one knows what they are. You got you to have a little vision. So I'd like to kind of get into some of your, your thoughts and you've been through a, th- a few cycles. You've been in the business a long time. Uh, you know, what would your advice be to uh, a, your younger self, things you know now, things you've been through, what would you say if you were just starting out your career, what sort of advice would you give a younger Bradley? Well, I, th- I think that if you're, it depending on what they're going to do, but I think, I think in real estate, I think it's important to really understand what your tenant wants. So, you know, historically people would, you know, build it and they'll come. But now it's not simply just building it. People want things differently. So, you know, you had a guy, uh, I can't remember his name, I'm afraid, but you had a, a, a chap on, I think on your, maybe the last podcast, who did creative, he didn't yeah. have the word creative offices. I've yeah. forgotten his name, but it was really interesting. Richie uh, Shalulian. There you go. And I, I found what he said really interesting, and I, I think he was spot on. You know, and, and that's what I would say to my younger self. You know, it, it's a it's style, it's stylized offices, stylized places of work, people that, are, you know, buildings that attract people to go and work in. It's very interesting. You know, we all spend lots of money on our homes. We furnish them beautifully. We decorate them beautifully, landscape them beautifully. Yet, how much time do we spend in them? Yeah. Right? Versus our office. Most of our time in our office. And I've been to some offices which scare the hell out of me. <laughs> you know, so, you know, and, and, and we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? We've seen that evolution in people wanting to work in a more, you know, in, in, a, better, in, a, in a better way. And I, I think that's the thing, understanding what people want and giving it to and creating it for them. And that can be, you know, whatever it may be, it may not just be offices. I mean, even, even in the industrial logistics sector, you know, what did they used to build? A great big, a great big shed. Yeah. You know, now you go into these places, there's good breakout areas. You're thinking about the tenant. You have to think about the person you want in your building and you have to find a way to set it aside from others. Because, and that's even more relevant now because, for example, as I said before, if we become a tenant-led market um, and we've got surplus office space in the market, you know, people are going to have choice. And so, therefore, you've got to try and create the best, sexiest choice you can for them. Yeah. 
Right, that's, so that's the key thing, I think. That's good advice. So tell me a little bit about how it's affecting the family. You got the kids at home now for Corona. They, it's homeschooling. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, we've had, we've had, so I've got four kids. I've got two young ones of uh, six and four. Uh, and they obviously, being younger, they need a lot more hands-on. So, so thankfully, my wife and I can both kind of spend some time trying to do some work and try to yeah. working, but I'm trying to do some work and try to kind of get uh, involved. I'm waiting that's for mine to run in and break this call up any, at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> but when the kids, for my two older kids, you know, they can log on to, you know, my son's at universities back home living here and he can log on and watch his lectures. For him, it's no big deal. And for my 16-year-old daughter, uh, you know, she just sits down in front of the computer and they're doing lessons on, on either Microsoft Teams or Zoom lessons. And it hasn't really changed that much. The thing is, they miss their friends. You know, they miss seeing, you know, it's easy to talk to someone on the screen. But, you know, it's not quite the same as, as, as being in the room with them, is it? No. Uh, but, you know, the family time thing is, is, is pretty good. I think that, um, you know, I, I've realized, I think from a personal perspective, the one thing I've realized is, you know, we spend time with our kids predominantly when we're working on the weekends. But right. on the weekends, we're running around, taking them to places and sure. to this club and that class and do this. Whereas you're not really doing the kind of basic raw stuff that we did as kids. Like you said before, riding a bike, you know, the kids jumping on the trampoline in the garden, just doing normal, normal things. And I, I, I really, really enjoyed that. So, if, if, you know, when I look back, the interesting thing, isn't it? what will we, you know, how will we describe this situation to our grandchildren? Yeah, how will we? I'll, I'll tell you, I agree that the silver lining has been time with the kids, quality time, riding bikes, playing catch, reading books, relax. I mean, you never get to see them like this. They're usually so programmed. Uh, I'm programmed. You know, we're all so busy with business and other things. That's been one of the, the huge pluses in all this, being able to spend. And you know what's interesting? What's also interesting, Danny, is we spend, particularly with young kids, we, we do our best to kind of shield them from bad things and bad news. Um, and this is something they've kind of learned, they've learned from a young age, kids, you know, any kid over the age of three or four that understands, you know, why are we at home? Right. You kind of explain to them. So you're telling them about this evil, evil yeah, virus. Yeah, real, this is life. And then they're here, but then they're hearing things. This is the sad thing. They're hearing things you don't really want them to hear, but you can't escape it. You put the TV on, the radio on. You're hearing about people that are dying. We're hearing the neighbors are dying. I mean, I think this, this week alone, I've had, I think, six emails from the synagogue of people from my synagogue who have died from this. And you're here, and when they're hearing about this, it, it's it's not something you know you, you will kind of wanted to spare children from from this bad news. That is right. Um, we, what we've got in, in obviously we, we have here the, the NHS, the National Health Service, uh, which we're we're very very proud of, and the NHS um, um, are you know they've become the British heroes. Um, you know, every people have got, you know, the kids are drawing rainbows to depict the, as a symbol for the NHS and they're sticking them up in their windows and their houses in, in, in my street and other streets, kids are going out and they're kind of creating murals with chalk and, and pictures, you know, for, for the NHS. Yeah, every, I see that all over our neighborhood. Every Thursday night at, at, at eight o'clock, the country literally, honestly, almost in every street in the United Kingdom. People are coming out of their houses at 8 p.m. every Thursday and they're doing like a two-minute applause to thank the doctors and nurses of the NHS it's for the so work important. that they're doing. Thank God for all of them. And, and, and we're, awesome. we're just so incredibly grateful for the work that, the work that they do. So um, grateful. Yeah. And the, all the people on the front line, so grateful for all of them. Yeah, we underestimate them. We, we, we thoroughly, you know, we're sitting here talking about returns in real estate and yeah. where the next deal is. And, of course, that's important stuff. 
the you know the human side of this is 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 is, is so much more important. Yeah, we all um, take it for granted. We all take it yeah. for granted. The people on the front lines every day, you know, before this ever happened, they were doing the same things every day. They're to protect us, and God forbid something happens to one of us or our loved ones. They're all there, the doctors, the paramedics, the police, the, even the military. They're all out there doing a service for the community and for the people, and we take it for granted for sure. So we're much more grateful and appreciative when you go through something like this. It forces you to evaluate and be introspective and realize how blessed we are. And it would be nice if that, if, if you know, if post all of this, if, if, if that can continue, because we're all very good at, you know how it is when, when people... Um, you know, when people um, sadly have, you know, bad illnesses and they get through them and they go, right, you know, I've got through whatever it may be, cancer or whatever, and yes. I'm reevaluating life. And everyone says, yeah, yeah. But, but if you haven't experienced it, you can't, you don't relate to it. Well, we all can relate, everyone on the planet. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? The whole planet can, can relate to this situation. Sure. So those positives that we've got from it, the community spirit, the, you know, caring about your neighbours, spending time with your kids, doing all of these things, if we can, if we can just take that forward and create a better life, it would, it would, it would be amazing. And I think this is probably the only chance that we that we have for that to happen. Well, I hope it is. I hope this kind of thing doesn't happen again. But you know, if we can take those things and bring them into our business life and our work life, um, it could create a much, a much happier world. Agreed, one hundred percent. We really need to do that. So before we wrap this up, let me turn into a sort of a lighter note here. Uh, a funny story. And I don't know if you've heard this, if, we, if we've said this, so for 15 years, I think I've known you about 15 years, my wife has always referred to me as the Bradley Goldenberg of Los Angeles. She's always <laughs> said that you're my twin brother from another, this is before I even met you. She used to say that, so I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but uh, So let's have a little fun with this. If Jessica and I are, are in London and we're going to dinner Thursday night, and we're going to dinner with you and your wife. Where are we going? Where are you oh, taking that's us? A question. That's a good question. Um, where would we go in London for dinner? Well, it depends whether we're going kind of traditional London or elegant London or just cool London. Oh, um, yeah. you're, so, you're deep. Let's well, go traditional London. Let's, Let's go to traditional London. Uh, tradition, traditional London would probably be, there's some great fish restaurants, I don't eat meat, so there's some great fish restaurants uh, in London, so uh, old, old school traditional would probably be a place called Scott's, which is in Mayfair, which is, which is pretty nice, uh, but then we've got, on the, on the flip side, we've got a really cool place in Berkeley Square called Sexy Fish, which is a real scene. Uh, okay. some, uh, some very fish. interesting in interesting people in there so that, I uh, definitely want to go to Sexy Fish then. okay well come to London uh, you and Jess come to London and, and so, we'll take you there and I'll reverse the question if you guys are here you're here a lot or you've been here a lot where would you want to go if you're in Los Angeles for dinner with us where would you want us to take you wow um, it's been a while so I'm going to say somewhere probably completely out of date um, in fact did we go there did I months ago I like that guy, Katsuya. Katsuya? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Katsuya. It's a big sushi place. Yeah, 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 but there was one down in Hollywood, I remember, and one in Brentwood. Yes, exactly. I, 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 I probably haven't said the brothers, but I'll tell you where I really like. Was that, what's that place in Santa Monica that was bit where they throw, where you throw the, the nut uh, shells on the, on, the, on the deck? The nut shells on the deck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the monkey nuts? 
Okay, I have no idea. <laughs> monkey nice. What's a monkey nuts? That's a good place, anyway. <laughs> Some place in Santa Monica where they throw monkey nuts? Yes, yeah, so basically there's a bar area. It's outside. And you take loads of monkey nuts and you crack them open and chuck a shell on the floor. I like that place. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds good. I don't know what it's called. Some of them must know. I can't think about what. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Shea Panet. Is it an old spot? No, it's in San AJ, one of those places? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll take you to Dan Tanner's. Have some Italian with you. I like it there. I like I know it you do. Hey, man, well, thank you for uh, joining us. I really appreciate you spending some time all the way from London. Love you guys. Say, send my best to your dad and your family and hope to see you guys either in London or L.A. soon. I hope so. All right, thanks, Bradley. Take care, brother. Okay, come to London. Yeah, I hope so soon. See you guys. Bye. Hey, I want to thank Bradley Goldenberg coming on with us today, live from London. It was our first Zoom call podcast. You can always find Bradley Goldenberg at Bradley Goldenberg on Facebook. Uh, Fantastic resource in the London real estate market. All around great dude. I really appreciate you guys listening in this tough time. Be safe. Stay home. Do what you need to do. Uh, This is only real estate. This is only business. What matters most is our health, our families, our loved ones. So thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star review. You can always find me at The Deal Pod on Instagram or thedealpod.com. We're going to be pushing out a lot of content, a lot of content now from home during this time. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We're out.